0: This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him in their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for all those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. How has your life been impacted by the arrival of the coronavirus to the United States? Everyone has been impacted in some way as our life has been upended. Our schedules have been halted. Everything, all of our attention is now on on this virus. Uh, every place you go, uh, at least around here, there are pieces of tape on the floor to let you know how far away six feet is, all the grocery store lines and Uh, today I went to the donut store, which apparently it's still open. Uh, even though, even though everything else in my state is shut down, apparently donuts are essential. Just proving my point. I've now won that argument with my wife because the government says that donut stores are essential businesses that have to stay open. Uh, but they have, uh, every, every six feet there. Only six people can go in the store. There are X's to let you know where to stand. Uh, Everything is different. And for some people, uh, the impacts of that are felt more keenly. For those who have contracted the virus uh, and who have been uh, deeply affected, their health has been affected, some are fighting for their lives, many have lost family members, loved ones, because they did not survive the virus. And everyone else, we're experiencing something. Some have lost work. Many others, their work has changed dramatically. And even those who are continuing to work, the, the stress levels involved in that work uh, have gone up exponentially as they uh, feel the, the burden of working when so much of society is shut down. And so this is what I, I want to, um, to say. One, we need to be praying for one another. Bear one another's burdens. If you're in the midst of that difficulty, if you are experiencing um, some loss or some uh, feeling of, of being overwhelmed, I want to ask you to come to my social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handle is at outside the walls, and I want you to share those with me. I'll be praying all throughout the day for all the intentions that I receive <clears throat> by name, by intention. Uh, God, God, It says, God knows our names, and um, and I think it's important for us to lift one another up by name, not just generically, when we have the chance uh, to do that specifically, right? Because we are persons, and we have specific and personal requests. If you want to help, if you want to be a part of praying for others and interceding for them, I want to ask you to come and join me. You can do that a couple of ways. One, you can just come to my social media, read the prayer requests, like it, comment on it, let people know that you're praying. The other thing that you can do is every morning at 8 a.m. Central, I am live streaming on Facebook, Morning Prayer. And you can come and be a part of that prayer and pray that for the intentions that are listed. Every night at 11 p.m. Central, my wife and I together very often pray Compline. And we're live streaming that also on Facebook. There's always a link on Twitter as well. I want to invite you to come and be a part of that prayer because it's so important for us, uh, one, to pray for one another, and two, to put ourselves in a place where we can connect with God, where we are actively seeking and praying uh, to be in God's presence. One of the things that uh, this last week, as I was doing these prayers throughout the day from the Liturgy of the Hours, is this recognition of something that happens. Uh, every At the beginning of every hour, uh, except for the first hour of the day, we pray to start it off, Oh God, come to my assistance. O oh Lord, make haste to help me. No matter what you're doing, if you are having the best day in the world, we start off that prayer saying, God, come to my assistance. Lord, make haste to help me. And then, as we pray the psalms all throughout it, uh, at the end of each psalm, even those psalms that are just wallowing in despair, at the end of every psalm, we pray, glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. So here we have this juxtaposition whether we're having a great day or an awful day, we recognize our need for God's assistance, for him to be present to us, for him to bring um, salvation into our circumstance, to, to redeem us out of our circumstances. And then not only do we recognize our need for help, but even in our sorrow, even in our despair, we recognize that God is worthy of glory. And I think that this is something that it's important for us to recognize. If we're having a great day, we need to recognize we still need to be saved. If we're having an awful day, we need to recognize that God is still on his throne. He is completely able to re- redeem us, to rescue us, uh, and to bring good out of evil circumstances. And we certainly find ourselves there right now, just kind of overwhelmed by everything that we see. And it would be easy in that state of being overwhelmed to just try and and cling to whatever we can and say, soon this will all be over and things can get back to normal. But what if, what if things never get back to normal? And not only what if they never get back to normal, but what if it is in some ways better that it won't get back to normal? I'm not suggesting in any way that this is uh, this whole experience is something that that God has wrought upon us, but rather God turns all things, even evil things, uh, into good, and so here we have an opportunity, just like we do in Lent, to st- to stop and take stock of what we're experiencing, uh, as we no longer are going and taking, you know, it's no longer mom's taxi service, right? We're not taking the kids to all the different things that they normally go to. We're uh, finding ourselves at home a whole lot more often. Let's stop and take a moment and say, are all of these things that are quote unquote normal to me really worth keeping? Yes, there's going to be a return to some of the things Uh, return to work, return to school, uh, so many other of the things that we have considered normal. But it's also time to take stock and say, do I need to return to every single aspect of my former schedule? Or was my schedule too full uh, to, um, to really appropriately have family time? Was it too full to be able to spend enough time in devotion or adoration? Was it too full for me to be able to notice those in my community and in my parish? And then to to, to begin to say, what do I order my life around? Right now, our life is pretty much on hold as many of us find ourselves working from home or just kind of quarantined. But the time is going to come where we no longer have to be in this situation But I think it's worth asking the question, what are the things that I have begun to do during this time of isolation that I should carry with me into a new normal? One of the things I saw was um, in the city of Venice, as they have stopped all the traffic, uh, the the boat traffic in the canals, the, the canals have become clear. They can see the fish in it. They had dolphins swimming in them. Uh, the, the, the swans came back. And here the question is one of these days, the quarantine's going to be lifted. Do we return again to the kind of lifestyle that poisons the waterway? And, and, and ask that about our life here as well our internal life and our, our uh, metaphysical spiritual waterways. Do I return to a lifestyle? that poisons the clear water of the life of God within me, that clouds it up, that makes it difficult to see and makes uh, the uh, the things that live not want to be around it or in it, right? And so this is a, a great opportunity, and really this is the point of Lent as well, is to say, what are the things that are not benefiting me on my journey? Maybe they're not bad. Maybe they're not evil. But if they are not helping, if they're not growing my relationship with God or bringing positive fruit into the kingdom of God, why do I persist in doing them? And so now we have this opportunity, like I I, I think I said it here on the show. If I didn't, I said it on the live stream. I've always had difficulty praying with consistency the, the liturgy of the hours. That's one of the reasons that I'm doing the live stream uh, is yes, I want to have a point of connection with you. I want to be praying for your needs, but also you and the fact that you might be there, uh, means that I actually have to do it, right? I have to get to a place where I've got the book open and I've got the, uh, I've got the 10 minutes set aside, 15 minutes set aside. I have to do it because I've said I'm going to do it and therefore someone might show up and, and, It's on me, right? I have to do it. I have to make good on that promise. And my intention in starting it is that then after this is all over and I have the freedom to not do it, it will become such an integral part of my life that I will never go back to the normal that I had before. Because even though here we are and our entire liturgical celebration is different this year, it is different completely and utterly upended even so we are an easter people even though for many places easter will be celebrated in empty churches it will still have all the effectiveness of easter right easter is still easter even if easter was a tree in the woods and there was no one there to hear it it would make a sound and that's what's going to happen here Easter is going to come, and it makes a profound difference in our life. And we who are an Easter people, even if we aren't physically there to see the Paschal candle, we're not physically there to hear the readings, we're not physically there to receive the Eucharist, Easter changes us. And there can never be a return to the normal we had before. There is only ever. A deepening encounter with the Person of Jesus Christ, who comes to transform us, to make us new creations, new creatures, and then to carry us into being sanctified, made into His likeness completely, so that we can have union with the Father. So, how do we accomplish that? Well, first thing is that we we don't, we make space for that to happen. And the Holy Spirit accomplishes that within us. But here we are. We're prevented from going to the Eucharist. How do we form ourselves? How do we form our families? And that is the topic of today's show. We're talking today with Caitlin Marchand, who has a, a recent piece on catholicexchange.com called Spiritual Communion in a Time of Coronavirus. And she in, in this, she shares her experience uh, not only individually, but as a parent, how do we in this time prepare ourselves spiritually, but also fulfill that task that we have of of raising and, and filling with faith uh, these children of ours. Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: You know, they say that... Um, they, they say that the quarantine is the time to try new things. And so we're pulling you onto the radio out of the, uh, out of the article and written realm and into the spoken word. So thank you for being, uh, well,
1: I'm very excited cur- I, I looked through your podcast a little and I uh, was honored uh, to be in the company of some of the people you've interviewed. There's a lot of people there that I really look up to.
0: So I, I was reading your piece and you, you explain this moment, uh, in a couple of different ways. First, you have this realization as, as there's kind of this slow tidal wave of dioceses that begin suspending the public celebration of mass. And we just kind of watch it coming at us. My, my archdiocese was one of the first to do it because we were kind of in a hotbed of it, but, but it's slow. Everyone's kind of looking and saying, oh, that's awful. That would never happen here. And then they watch as it, covers the entire united states so you're here and watching this tidal wave come and then you have a second realization that now i have to explain it to my kids so talk a little bit about that that first experience uh of of processing it first by yourself and then with your children
1: well uh it's it's funny you say tidal wave because that was uh the word that always strikes me is cascade too. that real feeling of, you can see like avalanche of something coming. And, um, I thought, because we live in a very small town in Southern Colorado, um, I thought we are not going to have the mass all the way through Lent, but we'll still have it this weekend. I thought we've got to go to stations. We've got to do these things because it's coming. But then, um, it was quite sudden on Friday evening that um, all of the diocese of Colorado decided as one that they would cancel public masses. And um, uh, it was a very odd feeling because uh, as I say in the piece, you know, you're used to sometimes things come up, you've got a sick kid, you're sick yourself, you can't make it to mass. But there's that feeling, everything's going on without you. Right. And then there was the initial feeling of now it's not going on without me was the first thought. And then realizing, no, way, it is going on without me. It's just, but it was very disorienting because, especially as a stay-at-home mom, that's sort of the punctuation of the week. Mm -hmm. You have this rhythm of the week, and then Sunday's going to come, and we're all going to go to Mass together, and it keeps the rhythm going. And um, we were about an hour from going to Stations of the Cross. and My kids were really looking forward to it. I would like to say, because they love stations, which they do, but they also love fish fry right. and we really look forward to fish fry. And so I had to say, we're, we, we're going to go to stations, just us, but there won't be anybody there and there won't be any fish fry and there won't be any church on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And they were uh pretty, they were just shocked. They didn't know that that was a thing you could do that,
0: that happens. You know, it's like um, yeah. I, I grew up in the Protestant church and, and every once in a while you get really bad weather and they cancel it. But here in the Catholic church, uh, the priests right there on generally on campus in the rectory and the kind of the, the general, um, school of thought is if you can be safe and get here, go ahead and come because mass is going to happen, right? We're going to do mass. You use your best prudential judgment and make sure that you are safe. Um, but for those who can make it, I'm here. Right. And so it was so weird in this occasion of I am here and I am celebrating the mass and every mass is a public mass. I'm just privately celebrating that public mass. Uh, And but you you are mystically joined to this uh, mass. And that's as good as you're going to get for a while, because you cannot we have, uh, you know, it's like at, at my parish, we the church is still open for private prayer. Except when mass is happening and then we close the doors because people cannot yeah. come in during that time. And it's such a weird experience.
1: Absolutely. And that uh, that cannot is something that's really different because usually you're making the prudential judgment. You're going, am I, am I too sick? Should I even go? Maybe I'm going to infect. You know, those are the questions we were already asking ourselves. But there's a big difference between you making the prudential judgment and somebody else making it for you. Yeah. And saying, you
0: can't come and this is a really interesting thought as well because um it really brings to the forefront where our heart is and whether or not uh we are willing to receive with docility the things that our pastors give us you know we a lot of times we say well they they can't do this to me and this little pride rushes up and my, Mm -hmm. my my thought when i first saw that um just this really visceral response to the bishops. If we're going to do it anyway, I'm thinking, well, now you shouldn't go to communion, but it's for a different reason. You should go to confession first, right? There's this need for docility even yeah. in those times that we don't understand what's happening.
1: Yeah. I, um, I wrote a piece for Catholic exchange, um, about, well, I guess a year or two ago during the the beginning of the McCarrick, uh, scandal, Mm-hmm how a lot of people were saying, well, I'm not Catholic because of the Pope, or I'm not Catholic because of bishops and priests. And I, I understand where that feeling comes from. Even the, And that's a scandal. This isn't a scandal even. And it's just that the bishops doing what they think is best for us. Um, but we are Catholic because we have a Pope, and we are Catholic because we have priests and bishops. Of course, we're Catholic because of Christ, but Christ, the one that told us, these people are in charge of you. And they have the authority to make these decisions and uh, you don't always have to like it, but they're, they have, they have a responsibility to make the decision and we have a responsibility to um, follow in obedience.
0: We're talking today with Caitlin Marchand. She's got this beautiful piece over on Catholic exchange. I want you to go look at it. I've put it up on our social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls, Twitter, the handles at outside the walls. You'll find the link to this piece, Spiritual Communion in a Time of Coronavirus. So uh, as I read this, one of the things that stood out to me, and, and perhaps it's because of uh, your, your education where you went to college, perhaps it's from your upbringing and the, the, um, uh, the kind of catechesis you received in the home, but you handled your, your children's question like a pro. Uh, they came to you and said, well, why are they going to have mass if none of us are there? And you laid it out better than I could uh, could say it right now, so I'm going to hand it over to you and let you share that with us.
1: Well, isn't it – it's funny how um, these opportunities come up where you thought you had explained things to your kids before, mm-hmm. and then you find out, oh, they needed a little, um, a little uh, remedial uh, education. And so, yes, my son said – I was trying to um, – Calm them down when I said there would be no mass. And they were quite shocked. I said, don't worry, there, there is still mass. The mass will be going on all over the world. The priests will be um, saying mass for us all the time still. And he said, well, why? If there's not going to be anybody there, what's the point? And um, I said that I was a little bit surprised that he thought that the point of mass was the audience. Right. And the reason we have the obligation to come to mass on Sunday is for for us not because Christ needs us there. And so the mass, um, what I, what I love the most about the mass is that it is this sort of telescoping of time and space so that we're all gathered together from every time since the beginning of time to the end of time to Calvary in that moment when Christ has offered himself in the perfect sacrifice. And so that goes on that's why, uh, and it, I said to him that it was a representation mm-hmm. of that. And the fact that it has become re-present and we're all gathered together into it. Um, for one thing, it's a great, uh, comfort that it means that you are at mass, mm-hmm. even when you aren't at mass <laughs> Right. or you can be at mass. And so, yeah, I, it was a good opportunity to, um, tell him about, um, that aspect of the mass being this one perfect sacrifice going on through all of time and space.
0: Mm-hmm. Last week we talked about on the show uh, that it's, it, this is an imperfect analogy, but it's like Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, right? You you yeah. are, you are, you were there, you will be there. You are in, in a way you yes. kind of are there. Right. Yeah. And, and that doesn't take away the need for us, for our own souls to go back because we are bound in time and we do need right to receive the sacrament. And yet we've been at not a mass, but that mass before.
1: Right. Right. That's, I like that, that mass. That's beautiful. Well, it's funny. Um, a couple of weeks before this all happened, before we thought we were going to be quarantined, even, I had written a piece about um, what active participation means. Mm-hmm. And how for me, I have I have struggled my whole life with active participation. And I think I had sort of the wrong end of the stick and how it really is just about being present. Just bring your whole self to mass. So here I had just written this piece about all you've got to do, is bring your whole self to mass and be in the presence <laughs> of Christ. And then they go, okay, so now you can't bring your whole self to mass and be in the presence. It's, that part is still true for us. We just have to find a new way to do it. You're still bringing your whole self. You're still bringing yourself into the presence of the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. We're just not in the building.
0: Right. Uh, and and I want to get into some, some very practical ways of doing that uh, in the next segment. But before we get there, uh, mm-hmm. w- there was uh, an interview I, I did. I'm trying to remember who it was. I think it was uh, Christopher Carstens, uh, who's the Director of Divine Worship for the Diocese of La Crosse. And he talks about um, taking our uh, being actively present— and when the priest says, um, may the, uh, when we say to the priest, may the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands, he says, the priest says, pray, my brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable. And that the sacrifice that he makes is the sacrifice of the Eucharist. The sacrifice that we make is gathering up all of our intention, all of the prayers that we have, all the worries, all the things that we have held on to, and laying those things on the altar at that point in time and taking all of our distractions and all of our attention and placing it there to be given to Christ as an offering, as a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And I just love that picture of that. Not only am I being present and attentive in mass, but I am also making a very specific offering in this mass. And I have to be present to be able to do that.
1: Yes. Yes. And 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 you're making an offering. I like where you said your. I can't remember how you put it, but it's not always all the good things. Even it can be your fears, your stresses, your uh, your guilt over sin, Mm and any any of those things. You're bringing the whole thing, um, good and bad.
0: So you have a wide range of of children, Mm -hmm. Uh, and one of the things that this brings up is that um, what works for one child developmentally does not necessarily work for another child developmentally. Like for us, we've got our eight kids. And so when we, when we go into mass, we have a seating arrangement. There is an order that you sit in because that child can, can sit by that child without (laughs) being a distraction. And this one needs to be between mom and dad or all Hades is going to (laughs) break loose. Right. Uh, And so we, you can kind of manage it when you're all sitting in a pew, but, (laughs) but, When, when we're sitting at home and we're unable to go to mass and thank thank goodness and thank God for technology where we can have a mass streamed into our home. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Kids don't do so hot sitting on their own couch, watching a mass at various developmental levels. Have you noticed that?
1: I, I have indeed noticed that. We actually, um, made the decision. Um, I think I love how many priests are doing the live stream mass. Um, i for myself that glimpse in that, yeah, here, you can see the Mass is going on, the Mass is going on all over the world, all the time. We are not there, but it's such a comforting reminder. But um, we decided for our family not to do the live stream Mass as our way of keeping Holy the Lord's Day, precisely because of what you said. It's hard enough to keep them in order in the pew, and we usually end up with the one-year-old out in the back or things like that. Um, I just didn't think it was going to work for us so we had to come up with a different
0: way and we're going to talk about that different way right after this break as we talk with caitlin marchand uh, who wrote this beautiful piece go over to catholicexchange.com the piece is spiritual communion in a time of coronavirus you can find all of her other articles there as well she's a prolific writer i encourage you to dig through those archives Join us over on social media, Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L., and we are talking today about how to do mass replacement, right, as a family, Uh, because we still need that spiritual growth and the liturgical rhythms in our life and our, as the church calls us, the domestic church, Uh, this little microcosm of, of the kingdom of God that dwells in our homes. Uh, And last week we talked about how. what do we do now that Mass is empty? We no longer have the public celebration of Mass. We have private celebrations of Mass, and we are mystically united to that. And yet we still need to make some kind of a a reach. Uh, We have a hunger for the presence of God. And so we have this opportunity to make spiritual communion. But in that, we also need to have some kind of uh, we have a hunger, a need, a desire for this liturgical action in our lives. We're talking talking today with Caitlin Marchand, uh, and she is right in the thick of this. as She is a mom of six. Uh, she wrote about this experience on her uh, recent piece on catholicexchange.com, Spiritual Communion in a Time of Coronavirus. Caitlin, thank you again for joining us today. Well,
1: thanks again for having me.
0: So let's talk about this. You've got you've got a wide age range of kids. We talked about that just before the break. Uh, you decided that streamed mass was not going to work for you. We we're stubborn in our house, and we still kind of do it, um, yeah. but it's hard. I mean, it at the end of it, you are like, did did this accomplish really? <laughs> <laughs> what I what I wanted it to accomplish, or have I just frustrated the younger three and scandalized the older uh, five? Right. <laughs> uh, so you you had a different solution. Maybe I'll take a cue from this and um, and do it myself this next week. How did you give your kids the liturgical action and rhythm that they needed uh, and not lose your sanity?
1: Well, I reached out to a one of uh, the many Twitter priests. I reached out to Father Matthew Schneider, um, because he seems very, the least intimidating of all of them to me. <laughs> he seems very patient. And I said, I have this idea, um, and I hope that you'll you'll help me, or at least not be angry with me for asking. And he was so generous. He I said, can you help me find a way to do, as the liturgy of the word and, and as much of the mass as we ought to do, not being priests. I didn't want to um, overstep our place as the laity, but um, I wanted to do that. And he uh, ad- adapted for us um, a liturgy of the word when a priest is absent, for basically he adapted a, um, a communion service. But of course, we don't even have a communion service. Right. So he adapted that for us, and so he did the liturgy of the word and added in in the, in the appropriate place a spiritual communion. Mm -hmm. for where we would normally be doing the um the liturgy of the eucharist and uh it worked beautifully for us because um well we could go at our own pace that was the thing that really scared me about uh having a streaming hold on hold on we've got three kids that just ran out of the room things like that and we could go at our own pace we could also take opportunities um to do things a little differently like discussion so when we got to the prayers for the faithful we had time each child could offer their own intentions and um, their father could offer intentions and explain why he was choosing these intentions, which I really liked. Um, And we got to pick some of our favorite hymns to sing. Uh, uh, And so we really, we really had a lovely morning and uh, felt, I thought, felt deeply united to the universal church, even in this new way, because we were just You know, especially at the moment of spiritual communion, just the idea of everyone in their reaching out and yearning to the Mm -hmm. Eucharist—you suddenly felt, okay, yes, I'm not with my family, I'm not together in the same way that I'm used to being together. But um, I find there's a lot of silver linings in this this new experience we're having, and I felt like the sense of the mystical body of Christ was really brought home to me in a way that I don't think we often get a chance to feel
0: it. Yeah. You bring something up in in your piece that we talked about a little bit earlier here in the show. And it's this question. We're all looking forward to the time where things can get back to normal. Uh, But it's important to ask Jen, uh, to ask the question is back to normal really the place we should be getting or is there a new normal that, that this experience is enlightening for us that we ought to begin to uh, appropriate, even as we're allowed to go back and to uh, fully engage with uh, the liturgy of of the Mass. Mm-hmm. Are there other things that we shouldn't be so quick to shed off that we have picked up as a means to uh, to kind of support us during this time?
1: Yes. Um, so I wake children. About the Mass is still going on, and the Mass doesn't need us we need the mass and this is the one sacrifice of Christ. So we'll do this. And I explained about spiritual communion to them. And it just, as I was explaining it, so we're going to unite ourselves with Christ on the cross. Um, And I thought, wait, we're supposed to be doing that every moment of every day, all the time. We're supposed to live in a state of spiritual communion. And um, I think that that's another great thing that, Sometimes I I call it a a harsh mercy when there's something bad happening, but you see that God is always at work in it. So one of the harsh mercies of this experience is we'll have some reminders that you shouldn't, you don't need to wait until you can't receive the Eucharist to do spiritual communion. It was encouraged by um, all many saints to do throughout your day, anywhere, anytime. And here, most of us had, maybe even never heard of it or thought of it until we could not get to the Eucharist. And so I think if we can come out of this all knowing our spiritual communion off by heart Mm -hmm. and trying to um, incorporate it into our days and live in spiritual communion, then we'll all be better off than we were before.
0: Well, and this also will give, I think, new insight and light to us personally to understand what it means for the Eucharist to be the source and the summit, yes, the summit, but also the source of our daily activity, of the source of our liturgical life, and, and the source of our participation in the divine nature.
1: Yes, like we're, we are, um, we are living in it all the time. That we are in a state of grace. Mm-hmm. We are, and, and uh, yeah, everything, all the sacraments, everything flows from that that sacrifice of Christ.
0: We're talking today with Caitlin Marchand, and Caitlin, one of the things that I've been doing. Is praying morning prayer and compline every day during this, and I've tried before uh, to do that, and I I, I know how I, I've gone through the, you know enough to figure that out, but the the consistency wasn't there, and all of a sudden now that that there is this otherwise as you said the punctuation is is gone, and we're trying to yeah. find new rhythms. Uh, this has been really kind of a profound. Uh, reawakening for me of that of that liturgical life of first thing in the morning offering the day to God and last yeah. thing at night reoffering the day to God both with as we said about the mass earlier both with the good and the bad and everything that it was giving that yeah. whole thing back to him now yeah. you have an affinity for the Benedictine lifestyle as well in in your extended family you talked um, as yeah. we were interacting so what elements of the Benedictine lifestyle do you find particularly helpful in your family right now?
1: Um, well, my brother, my brother that I spoke to you about, um, he does so well with doing, um, his liturgy of the hours and I have tried and so far mostly failed to incorporate it. Um, I'm going to blame the kids. I don't think it's (laughs) really totally their fault. I think I could do better, but, um, it has been hard, but um, trying to find ways that in the life that I'm leading to have a rhythm of prayer throughout the day, we really do try and do that. So we try and start every day with a morning offering. We try and do the Angelus as close to noon mm-hmm. as we possibly can. We don't always get right on the dot, but the kids really love it because we have a big bell. And if they notice it's noon or a little bit past, they'll just go grab that bell and everything will stop, whatever room we're in, and we'll just whatever activity we're doing. I've even been interrupted in the middle of uh, correcting a uh, an unruly child by the the Angelus spell. So, and then we'll say the Angelus and then we end the day with the rosary as a family as well and um, with uh, hymns. And so we do that. I, I would say that's probably the best that I get towards uh, a sort of Benedictine lifestyle is that idea of a rhythm of prayer, punct- uh, punctuating your entire day so that never should too much length of time go by without you remembering God and remembering why you have this day and everything in it.
0: And and when this happens, when you have this rhythm, what do you notice in your children? A lot of times we assume that kids are too young to get it and that it's just going to be a burden on them. Um, Mm -hmm. I've not found that the case and I'm going to guess that you haven't either.
1: Uh, No, in fact, uh, a lot of uh, the prayer life, I will introduce it, and um, it will often be my children that um, make me stick to it. Mm-hmm. If I forget the Angelus for a couple of days, then my uh, my 11-year-old, he's going to make sure he's going to tell me. We haven't been saying it like we, we should, and he'll be noticing the time. Um, same with the rosary. Uh, we have a tendency as a family. Um, <laughs> I wrote a piece once that said uh, pray the rosary sometimes because <laughs> everybody says you should pray it every day, and you should. But I think people who who Don't pray it every day. Go, oh, well, I I might as well not start. I'll never do that. Right. And so uh, we usually go sort of six months every year praying it every single day. And then we take one day off. And then all of a sudden you wake up a few weeks later and you go, what? I've just forgotten. It seems so much easier to uh, get out of good habits than into them. But my children are the ones that will go, you've dropped the ball. Mm -hmm. You, You haven't been saying rosary. They like that rhythm. They like that consistency Um, and I think that they are, I think that they appreciate, um, I don't know how to put it, but they, they can see how important it is is when sometimes we can feel like we're just going through motions. They just instinctively notice that this, this is important that we do it.
0: Well, I think there's also this sense of, there's so much in life and, and I think this is, we've forgotten this as adults. There's so much in life that we cannot control and, Mm -hmm. uh, and we'd like to think uh, as grownups and that we are self-made and somehow able to really uh, accomplish life. And if anything, this, this quarantine is showing us that that is not the case. There are things that we cannot control. And for kids, that's everyday life, right? The, nothing's, yeah. nothing's within their control except for like, do you want Rice Krispies or you want Cocoa Puffs? And we all know what they're going to choose. Um, so here with the rhythms, they know what to expect. It's predictable, right? So every time I, uh, in the morning when we sit down to, to do prayer together, my two-year-old, who's not good with the words yet, uh, he'll go over and he he's done this for about six months now. He, he'll find the rosary basket and bring it over and pull out the rosary book um, that with the, with the scriptural prayers of the rosary in it. And he's like, he knows it's time for this. Here, here you go. Let's do it, Dad. And like, we don't always do the scriptural rosary, but he wants it he brings it yeah uh, and so there is this sense of uh, there is an an anchor of peace uh in a sea of uncertainty when we Absolutely. when we punctuate our day with those prayers
1: mm-hmm. yeah and and um, the more the more punctuation the better <laughs> because it really does um you know you start with a morning offering and, and an hour later you're already irritable or any of those things. But every time that you turn back to God in prayer in a way and and offer your day, um, it does make you ask like, what kind of day do I want to offer? Right. <laughs> and I think it helps everybody with that too. Yeah.
0: Well, final thoughts. What can we do in this next week to, to make a difference for our kids?
1: Um, if your church still allows you um, access the church one of the things that we've been doing is we're we're still able to go to spend time in adoration so long as there are not more than 10 people and we're all very spaced out and um again this is an opportunity where we used to go uh to adoration once a once a week and then we'd sort of fallen out of the habit and i was saying well we just don't have time mm-hmm. but we did have time it was just easier to put it off as well we'll see we'll see jesus on sunday yeah And now we're not going to see him on Sunday. So um, it's a lovely time if you're able to go and visit. I think the children like to go. And it's also, um, it will stick with them if they haven't been going to adoration or even if they have this empty, quiet church. This will be a memory that they carry forward in their life. And I think that's good. And it's also, it's the right time of year. And it's the right circumstances to meditate upon the agony in the garden and spend an hour with Christ while he's more alone than usual.
0: Yeah, I agree. If you have the time and the ability, go take some time and spend in adoration with Christ's presence and really get a sense for the fact that he is still here and still with us. We've been talking today with Caitlin Marchand. She's got a brand new piece over at catholicexchange.com called Spiritual Communion in a Time of Coronavirus. I encourage you to go take a look at that. Uh, And then if you can't get enough, well, I have good news for you. There is more to my conversation with Caitlin, and it's available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. We've got a great community of people that help keep this show on the air through their support. And in gratitude, I like to give them a whole bunch of extra goodies. Uh, If you want to be a part of that community, simply go to OutsideTheWalls.com while you're there. Uh, Share this week's episode with your friends over on social media. And then before you leave, go to the top right-hand corner of the page. You can't see me, but I am gesturing that way. Top right-hand corner of the page. You'll see a link that says support the show hyphen Patreon. Click that link and look through the the various offerings that we have there. There's a number of different levels that you can support the show at that come with different rewards and different tiers. Uh, And then uh, even if you want to do the lowest level, $5 a month, you get access to all of our extra segments. We do weekly extra segments uh, in gratitude for those, that wonderful support community who helps keep us on the air. Uh, so go and listen to this week's extra segment with Caitlin Marchand, and, uh, and then browse through all the other extras that are there at your disposal. Let's go ahead and turn our attention now to our reading from scripture and from church history, and I think these these readings are really apropos today because it they address the the uncertainty that we're dealing with the the, the fear that has seized our society, and help us put it in perspective, uh, fixing our eyes on Jesus. So we start off in the Gospel of John where we hear this: the sisters of Lazarus sent word to Jesus, saying, "Master." The one you love is ill. When Jesus heard this, he said, This illness is not to end in death, but it is for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was ill, he remained for two days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary sat at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise. Martha said, I, I know he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. Lord, I have come to believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, the one who is coming into the world. He became perturbed and deeply troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Sir, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not the one who opened the eyes of the blind man have done something so that this man would not have died? So Jesus, perturbed again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay across it. Jesus said, "'Take away the stone.' Martha, the dead man's sister, said to him, "'Lord, by now there will be a stench. He has been dead for four days.' Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you for hearing me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd here, I have said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, tied hand and foot with burial bands, and his face was wrapped in a cloth. So Jesus said to them, Untie him and let him go. Now many of the Jews who had come to Mary and seen what he had done began to believe in him. That reading comes from the Gospel of John, and I want to point out a couple of things here. First, right at the very beginning, right at the get-go, we see this. This, uh, master, the one you love is ill. Jesus, and it says this again here in a couple of verses, Jesus loved Lazarus. Jesus loved Lazarus and his sisters. And it says, because he loved him. You know, we look at this and say, Jesus, why didn't you hurry up? We want to join with the crowds and say, come on, get in there. It says, because he loved him, because he loved him, he waited for two days. Now, I want you to notice he waited for two days, but by the time that he got there, Lazarus had already been dead for four days. And so, him leaving right when he had gotten the word would not have changed the outcome of his death, but it would have changed the outcome of people believing in him, because there was a belief at that time that the soul hung around the body for about three days before it departed. And so there, at least this is what I've been told. In fact, check me on that if you want. Um, so here we have it. Jesus waited until such time as there was no other explanation but the glory of God. And so because he loved Lazarus, he waited. And then he came. And then, even though he knew what was going to happen, the Word who, the Word of God, capital W, The word of God who, when he spoke, worlds were formed. Is about to say, Lazarus, come out. And you know that Lazarus is going to obey that just like light came out when he said, let there be light, right? And so here we have him saying, Lazarus, come forth. He knows that's about to happen. And still he weeps. What does that mean for us, you and me? It means that even in our uncertainty today, Christ cares for us. Not only is he going to take care of us, but he has an affection and an affinity for us, and he loves you. So whatever you're facing, whatever death you may be looking at, whether it be a physical death or a spiritual death, or maybe it's just an emotional one, maybe you are completely overwhelmed by the scenario, Christ loves you and has the capability of undoing, the worst catastrophe that could that you could face, just as he did for Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Today's reading from Church History comes from a sermon by St. Leo the Great on contemplating the Lord's passion. And I think it's important for us to fix our eyes on this. True reverence for the Lord's passion means fixing the eyes of our heart on Jesus crucified and recognizing in him Our own humanity, the earth, our earthly nature, should tremble at the suffering of its Redeemer. The rocks, the hearts of unbelievers, should burst asunder. The dead imprisoned in the tombs of their mortality should come forth. The mass of stones now ripped apart. Foreshadowings of the future resurrection should appear in the holy city, the Church of God. What is to happen to our bodies should now take place in our hearts. No one, however weak, is denied a share in the victory of the cross. No one is beyond the help of the prayer of Christ. His prayer brought benefit to the multitude that raged against him. How much more does it bring to those who turn to him in repentance? Ignorance has been destroyed, Obstinacy has been overcome. The sacred blood of Christ has quenched the flaming sword that barred access to the tree of life. The age-old night of sin has given place to the true light. The Christian people are invited to share the riches of paradise. All who have been reborn have the way open before them to return to their native land from which they had been exiled, unless, indeed, they close off for themselves the path that could be opened before the faith of a thief. The business of this life should not preoccupy us with its anxiety and pride, so that we no longer strive with all the love of our heart to be like our Redeemer, to follow His example. Everything that He did or suffered was for our salvation He wanted his body to share the goodness of its head. First of all, in taking our human nature while remaining God, so that the Word became man, he left no member of the human race, the unbeliever accepted, without a share in his mercy. Who does not share a common nature with Christ if he has welcomed Christ who took our nature and is reborn in the Spirit through whom Christ was conceived? Again, Who cannot recognize in Christ his own infirmities? Who would not recognize that Christ's eating and sleeping, his sadness, and his shedding of tears of love are the marks of the nature of a slave? It was this nature of a slave that had to be healed of its ancient wounds and cleansed from the defilement of sin. For that reason, the only begotten Son of God became also the Son of Man, He was to have both the reality of a human nature and the fullness of the Godhead. The body that lay lifeless in the tomb is ours. The body that rose again on the third day is ours. The body that ascended above all the heights of heaven to the right hand of the Father's glory is ours. If we walk in the way of his commandments— and are not ashamed to acknowledge the price he paid for our salvation in a lowly body. We, too, are to rise to share his glory. The promise he made will be fulfilled in the sight of all. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I, too, will acknowledge him before my Father, who is in heaven. That reading comes from a homily by St. Leo the Great. And the one thing I want to point out here in the little, little bit of time that we have left is this, that the busyness of this life should not preoccupy us with its anxiety and pride so that we no longer strive with all the love of our heart to be like our Redeemer and to follow His example. Let us this week fix our eyes on Jesus and remember that all around us is passing, but God is unchanging, and He is calling us to be like Himself That's all the time we have for today. Today's show is brought to you by Paige and Kent Keithley, and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link, and join their numbers. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.